Welcome to Managing Marketing and today we're in the Chartered Accountants Hall in the City of London having a chat with Adrian Jenkins who is the Founder and Director of Financial Progression. Hi there. Welcome Adrian. Thank you very much, it's great to be here. And well thank you for having us at your professional club. <laughs> yeah, it's quite, it's quite a place, it's uh, not somewhere, somewhere you join but it's somewhere that comes with, with the membership of being a, a Chartered Accountant. Well, look, I'm glad you raised that early because uh, chartered accountants traditionally were those who have joined a profession of um, trust and integrity, and uh, and that's a very important thing. Doing what you do with financial progression, isn't it? It is, and it's and it's key. To be honest, it's it's absolutely key to to everything that we do and and the foundation of the business. Um, because you know, at the end of the day, if you if you can't trust your auditor, um, who can who can you trust? Well, exactly. You know, I mean, auditing people. Uh, I know uh, going to university when people were doing their PY year because they were going to become a uh, chartered accountant. You know, people would snigger because there is a uh, an attitude, I guess, that you know, chartered accountants is synonymous with auditing. But it's not exclusively auditing, is it? No, it's not. I mean, look, um, there's, there's obviously, particularly here in the UK, there's a, going back to the days of Monty Python, there's a view of your, your accountant as a man in a, band, in a brown suit with a kipper tie um, who's dreadfully dull and, and gets up and is on the 6.33 uh, from Surbiton every morning uh, into, into London. But, you know, times change. And um, I would say it's a, it's a fantastic um, qualification, business qualification to have. A lot of people will, 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 will have it instead of having an MBA, for example. Um, and it gets you, you know, when you're training into lots of, to see lots of different businesses and, and how they work and how they should run from a financial perspective. And you've only got to look at, you know, large businesses, FTSE 100 companies, many, many, more than, I don't know, I think it's something like 30% of FTSE 100 CEOs are chartered accountants because they've got that, that grounding in business and um, often they've seen, they've, they've worked in other functions as well um, and already have an understanding of the business and, and how it works and, and, and what's going on. But you've got a very particular focus, and that's the advertising and marketing industry. Yes, it is. And I, and I guess... Which is not boring. No, it's quite quite the opposite. Um, and, and I guess it's almost a bit of a... Um, it's almost never the twain shall meet insofar as, you know, accountancy is very process-driven, very structured, and much, obviously, but not all, of the advertising and marketing is, is not like that because it's a, it's a creative industry. And yes, of course, there's, there's, there's process and structure within that, but it, it, the types of people that work in those professions tend to have a, uh, a different mindset, shall we say. Uh, well, uh, there, you know, often um, we hear people saying, well, you can't really have process around creativity, but they've got to remember that underlying that is a business supporting it, and business needs measurement, control, yes. and, and a process to actually make sure that it stays profitable. It, it does, and I think one of the things that, that we do in our audits is actually, that's perhaps different to some of our competitors actually, is, is, is to look at those underlying processes in the agency, but also between the agency and the brand that are kind of the, the, the contracts trying to support or that are trying to support the contract, depending on which way you look at it. Um, and often what we find is that um, both on the client side and on the agency side, they've not really sat down and had those conversations about process. 
um, and and expect things to happen without um, well by osmosis in some cases and often a lot of it is like guys you know we've noticed these issues with your process please as a result of this audit sit down and talk about these things because it'll make you more efficient uh, it'll reduce your levels of frustration it'll get your product to market more quickly um, it, it's yeah it's it's really fundamental I, I, I like what you've uh, just picked up on there I often say to people the relationship between their agencies and their clients is sometimes like the worst personal relationship where you almost have to be a mind reader to, to even have an understanding of what the expectation of both parties are yes and uh, on extending that uh, metaphor the uh, the contract ends up becoming like the marriage certificate. So you stand up there and you make uh, uh, vows to each other. Uh, you sign the marriage certificate yeah. and then you file it away and forget about it for the next twenty years until divorce divorce comes around. Uh, it doesn't quite take twenty years with agencies and clients these days, but I think that's quite a strong uh, uh, metaphor or relevant metaphor. Yeah, and I think you know you. Your sort of strengthening of it there is is is, is totally out. It is it is like a marriage, and and I've even had situations where, um, you know, we've been in. We always interview the account director um, first day of the audit. That's one of the first things that we do to find out how things are going, what's working well, uh, what do you wish were different, and then we ask to see them again, sort of a few, uh, probably on the penultimate day of the audit. To, because we've then had a look at a lot of information, have a view on things, want a bit of additional clarification. And by that time, we've normally built up a bit of a rapport with the account director. And I remember one, one actually it was an American lady working for an agency in Amsterdam and um, working with a, with a global client with um, complex um, brand marketing relationships, we say, across different territories that made briefing a bit of a challenge. And uh, we sort of looked at our watch and uh, sort of two hours had passed. Wow. And she, and she sort of sat back and just went, oh my God, that was the best therapy session I've ever had. <laughs> so it was, it was, I did feel like I was giving a kind of you know, relationship counselling, I have to say. Well, I think, I think uh, we have something similar, except that obviously the audit and uh, has a very specific uh, process and structure. And, and I wouldn't mind just clarifying some things with you. So the first thing is the industry, the marketing and advertising, and specifically the media component, has almost uh, bastardised the term audit, haven't they? It has. Because people will phone up and they go, can you do a media audit? Now, that's really not an audit. It's a what I'd call a benchmarking Correct. exercise. How do you let people understand what an audit is and what is an audit? How does it express itself as a particular function or service that you provide? Okay, so the way we describe what we do is typically we would call it, clients would often call it a financial audit, we would call it a contract compliance audit. Mm -hmm. So being separate and distinct from that media benchmarking exercise, which is very much looking at what was bought often relative to some kind of benchmark, be it a, a, a pool of advertisers or a market price or whatever. But it's not an audit. It's not it? an audit. Technically, no. it's not an audit. It's, 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 it's not. It's a benchmarking exercise. Um, so uh, uh, an audit, I can't, there are probably books outside this room that would tell us technically what the definition no, of an audit is, your, but from our perspective, yeah. it's, 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 looking, um, it's taking a contract um, and looking at the financial and financial process elements within that and saying, has, to what extent has this contract been implemented as written mm -hmm. in terms of charging, of, of uh, if we're taking media as an example, in terms of media costs, technology costs, 
agency fees, tracking of time, um, through to you know, what I would call risk management areas like have you got the correct insurances in place, checking that all of these things that go into um, the contractual and commercial relationship are, are, are happening as intended. Mm. So what sort of uh, ways is that expressed? Because you know there could you hear about people doing a full audit, yes, and then they say you know uh, production audits and, and yes. What, what are all the different ways? And there's probably a long list, but the main ones that you would be involved in. Okay, so um, we would have typically what's known as a, a stand. What I would what we would call a standard contract compliance audit is something that would happen after a year, sometimes two years of a contract running, and typically when the contract is still live, as it were, um, we, would, we would go in and look for, literally, we would ask for literally all the billing that the client has received and all the underlying transactions at the agency, be that um, the fees that they've charged and the related time records, be it the media that they've bought or the production that they've um, commissioned, um, all the expenses, everything that's basically in their books to do with that client. Mm -hmm. We take that data, we analyze it, and from that, we, we would select a, a subsample, typically about 10% by value, because that should give you a statistically significant uh, sample, uh, and then go in detail all the way through. So taking a, typically a, a campaign or a job from start to finish, right all the way from brief through to cash moving. Mm -hmm. um, and uh, so, so that, and on top of that, we would then look at um, ways of working. So we'd, we'd interview the account director, trying to figure out what's working well, what could, what could be different. Um, we would be looking at, uh, at cash movements, so working capital on the account as well. Is it favoring one party or the other, or is it broadly neutral? Um, we'd be doing a, a review of the contract, not to say whether this is a good or bad contract, but just to say these are the key things that are in the contract that we need to look at. And by the way, against a sort of a, an 80-point template that we've got of these are the clauses we would expect to see in your mm -hmm. agency contract, this is missing or this isn't very well defined or it's not clearly enough defined that to avoid ambiguity. Yeah. And maybe, you know, and, if there, and sure enough, if there is ambiguity in that contract, that'll come through in the numbers. Mm. Um, so that's what I would call kind of a, 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 a full-blown contract compliance audit. Um, we also have, um, we also do implementation audits. So this would okay, be what are they? so that would be um, when a, uh, at the literally right at the start of a new, typically it's with a new agency client relationship and a, and, a, and a new and a new. So contract. coming into the honeymoon or just out of the honeymoon? So it would be still during that honeymoon period. Oh, okay, where uh, everyone's loved up. Where's everyone? Everyone's everyone's loved up. Loved up. All the vows are remembered. The party's still fresh, and it's you know the, mm. the weddings and the honeymoon the are still fresh still in mind. Yeah. yeah. So so with that, we would typically take the first three months worth of data, and we do the audit within the first six months. And what we're doing there is, whereas a contract compliance audit might be very relatively narrow and very deep, uh, an implementation audit would be very broad and very shallow. So we're looking at all the promises, if you like, that the, 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 the happy couple have made to each other um, and look to see actually are those, have those been implemented as intended. So we would take, and I'll use a media agency example, so we take maybe one campaign from each medium that's run in the first three, the first three months and say, if you've set out a process, how's that working? Again, from, uh, from brief all the way through to, 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 to payment. Are there any issues with that? Um, and if there are, let's let's flag it and raise it now and fix it now. So the Im implementation audit is very much about while every while there's still a lot of goodwill, 
if there are things that we haven't fixed, uh, that we haven't implemented as we would want to, let's recognize that now, fix it now, so it doesn't become a, doesn't fester and become mm. a problem two years down the line. It's funny because we do uh, relationship uh, management uh, with surveys and things. And the number of clients that say to us, oh, well, we've just appointed the agency. Why should we be thinking about this now? And we say to them, well, if you do it early, you can pick up potential bad behaviours yes. that will become habits. Yes. Um, and, and they're really hesitant to do it because that honeymoon period, oh, yeah, but we get along so well, I don't want to upset the agency by bringing in a level of you know compliance or yes. measure. Do you get that pushback with uh, implementation orders? No. In fact, okay. quite the opposite. N not at all. The agencies absolutely love it. Because um, believe it or not, you know, because believe it or not, they want to comply with the contract. I mean, of course, you know, they, they want <laughs> costs to... a lot of money if you don't. <laughs> well, exactly, and you know, they've just spent all this money and time pitching for the client. They want this to go well, right? Mm. So actually, they really welcomed it, and it's not. It's. It, I think it's a service that I don't think our competitors offer. It's pretty unique, and so the agencies, when we go in, um, we've never been into the same place twice yet to do one. When they, when we go in, they're like. They're a bit suspicious, you know, what is this? We don't know what it is. But very quickly, they're like, this is fantastic. Mm. Um, to the extent that where we, when we did it first, we actually got recommended to the IPA to say, well, <laughs> this is sets, really helpful. It sets the relationship up on the right foot, you know, and it means it that everyone knows exactly what's expected of them and exactly. it's been aligned up front. What's the role of the contract in that uh, implementation audit? I mean, I imagine it'd be quite central because the it's, contract should be reflecting the expectations of both parties. It's absolutely central yeah. it's, it's in, and, and critical. So we write the scope of work based on that on that contract. And the more, the more detailed the contract, the more depth we can go into. So we have one client who actually has, has uh, uh, five divisions. They're all, they all have their own P&L, so they all run slightly different systems and ways of working. But very helpfully, the client had spent recognizing that, the client had spent the time actually writing out process maps mm. from start to finish in terms of briefing all the way through the payment. So we were then able to audit those for each division and see, you know, had that had the agency been able to um, get its head around that level of complexity. And, uh, and the answer was no, they hadn't. But because you're doing it early on, no one's judging. No one's pointing a finger. They're just saying, "Look, this is they're just recognizing it is what it is." Mm. Let's let's we, we've recognized that we've not done it quite as we would like to have done. Let's fix it. And so, actually, they're the, for our from our perspective, they're the, they're the nicest sort of audit to do because there's nothing contentious in there. No one's pointing a finger at anybody. It's just like, okay, we haven't done it. Let's make sure we do well, it. Because nothing's necessarily gone wrong. It's more about getting alignment up front. Yeah, and if and even if you, you could say, well, you you, you know this ha this ha this has or hasn't happened, you, you can frame it in a way that's 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 positive. Everyone's everyone's trying to do their best, right? And so of course, yeah. So you've got the full compliance contract compliance. Yes. You've got the implementation audit. Yes. Is that it? We've got two more. Um, okay. So, so no, no, I'm, I'm so, interested. So uh, so we've got because because uh, you're right. Um, that second one, I haven't heard of anyone else offering. You no. know, everyone focuses on the full compliance audit. And the word compliance almost comes with a sense of trying to catch the agency out. Yes. Mm. And, and I think that's, that's also, there's an auditor mindset around that as well. And, and that's what agencies sort of think, oh, is, is this person coming, coming to, to catch me out, to look for mistakes and that kind of thing. And, and, and certainly one thing that we do and, and agencies tell us that we do differently is that we don't go in with that mindset. Our mindset is very much, how can we make this agency relationship better? Mm. 
Um, yes, look, we're still really thorough. And, and in fact, I think we've got a reputation, well, I, I don't think I know because the agencies keep telling us we have a reputation for being the most thorough. But at the same time, we're doing it in a way that's saying, okay, how do we take this and turn it into a positive to make this function you know, better in future for both parties? I, I think that approach would make you more effective as well because when I've noticed when an auditor comes in with a reputation of trying to catch the agency out, the agency's less disclosing, less helpful, yep. less invo- you know, less involved. There's almost like a barrier goes up, which almost makes the whole relationship poisonous. Completely, and not that uh, we had a fantastic example in Singapore last last year. Um, it was a creative agency, uh, and at the end, we, when we have the debrief meeting, we asked the agency for feedback. You know, how 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 did you find this experience? And the FD actually said actually said to me, because of the way you handled it, and because you you understand our business so well, um, we've been way more open with you than we would not just with other auditors, but actually. And he said, even particularly so with our internal audit. Yeah. Um, because actually, you, you know, you're, you're you're working in a very collaborative way. Fantastic. Which was a so great testimony. There's two more. What are the other two? So, so yes. Yeah, so, so uh, the next one is what we what we call always on audits. Ooh. Okay. So this is where. So rather than going in, at you a, mean an agile audit because uh, <laughs> agile's the hot topic oh, is that of the, uh, is, marketing. So you should okay. call it an agile, agile audit. audit. So this is so this is particularly for um, creative agencies um, or, or agencies where there's, a, there's a, a lot of, outside of media where there's a lot of pass-through going, going, mm-hmm. go, going on. And, and, and in markets where the client is typically paying most or all of the, um, the, the, the project cost based on an estimate and then there's a reconciliation done. So in a traditional contract compliance audit, whilst, whilst contractually agencies are required to do reconciliations of jobs frequently and pass money back to clients if there are underspends against those estimates. The reality is that it, that process doesn't often function very well. Yeah. And so often we'll go in after the, at the year end or every two years and there'll just be a whole lot of money sitting there that needs to, that needs to go back. Now from a marketing perspective that's a real nightmare because um, let's say there's a hundred thousand pounds there for to pick, to, to pick a number. It's a sizable amount of money that you can do an activity with. Um, and yet, if it goes back after the year end, the, the first reaction of the finance director is he's, he's going to want to trouser, he or she is yeah. going to want to trouser that. Of course. Um, so, spend it or lose it. <laughs> yeah, exactly. So, so from, from a marketer's budget management perspective, what they want is that money to come, to, those reconciliations to be done, and ideally that money to come back in within the same financial year so they can spend it and, 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 and recycle it. And essentially, an, an always-on audit is doing just that. It's, it's taking typically a quarterly, sometimes a six-monthly, look at all the reconciliations, reviewing them at a high level, maybe going into detail on one, perhaps two, get, depends on the size of the account, but, um, and, and getting that money reconciled and back into the brand as quickly as possible. So it's, um, it's, it's a more frequent uh, hands-on, hands-on check. One of the things that uh, has impacted this is the payment terms. You know, as client payment terms have shifted beyond 30 to 60 yeah. to 90 to 120 days, yeah. uh, and some of that's getting passed down the supply chain. You know? So agencies are now trying to pay their suppliers longer and longer. It means the reconciliation can take six months before all the invoices are in and they've all been paid. Yeah. So it completely, you know, this flow-on effect from what was seen as a possibly a cash flow management 
from the client paying longer payment terms has actually had an effect on the industry and an effect on the ability of the agencies to comply with a reconciliation brought back to the client in the same financial year. I I think it's it's really true. And and I would say I would would extend that six months even to a year, Mm. you know, even, even to a year because a lot of creative agencies particularly might be working with smaller businesses who are not quite so hot on their on their invoices they might take four or five months to actually invoice something I mean goodness knows how they how they stay alive but, but that's not my issue but um, you know and so let's say it takes four or five months and then you know if the, if the, the many agencies will wait as you say will wait until they've been paid by the client before dispersing the money out through the, um, the supply well, chain because they're, 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 they're not a bank flight. they're yeah. not a bank yeah. So yeah. So that, anyway, so that's that's always on audits, and then the final one would be it would, would be an exit audit, which okay. is which is when um, the client and agency have decided to part ways, um, and um, you know, uh, and they basically. Want, I, just, uh, I, I, I suddenly reminded when you said the exit audit. I, I used the metaphor earlier of a marriage. Yes. So that you're the divorce lawyer going through the assets of the uh, the relative spouses, working out who gets what. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> yes, it's basically that going through the agency's books to, to make sure that one part, neither neither party gets a well from the client's perspective, the agency doesn't get a golden goodbye. So it's really making sure all those reconciliations are done, um, any credit notes that have been raised have been recognised. That there aren't any outstanding invoices or unpaid invoices. It's making sure that everything winds down in an orderly and professional manner, so that should those parties want to do business again in the future, and let's let's face it, you know, this is a marketing is a, the agency world is a small world. And you know you might have lost an account now, but actually in five years' time things could be very different, and that client might be coming back to you. Um, you know, it's just to make sure that everything is done. Well, and if you properly. can't uh, uh, separate on good terms, at least separate on professional terms. Correct. So one of the things that uh, we've noticed with exits and and contracts, and I'd love your input here, is that especially for creative or where they're producing content. Yep. A little bit with uh, media, but much more, is that there is so much volume and so much complexity in the things that the agency is doing. And they're creating huge amounts of assets and intellectual property. And most contracts assign the intellectual property to the client, even though formally it should be piece by piece. It's just a general blanket term. On exit... We've had a number of times where the clients phoned us up and said they've been hit with a cost for transferring all of that IP and asset from the agency servers to the client or to the next agency that's taking over. Or in the case of media, you know, things like all the tags on all the digital display ads. That's a huge amount of work to actually map all those and transfer Mm -hmm. them across because you could be mid-campaign because they're always on. What's your uh, opinion about that, and how do you? Th- what's the role of the contract in defining the sort of terms of exit, which is quite relevant sitting here in London at the moment? <laughs> exit or Lexit or Brexit? Yeah, um, I think it's 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 a really good point, and it's actually something reflecting on it that's probably no, not probably it it is underdeveloped in most agency contracts that we see. Um, Probably what we what we do see is is on termination there might be you know there there'll be a clause that says you know we need to agree a transition plan and we reserve the right to charge additional mm-hmm. amounts if it's particularly complex and I think 
uh, it, again, I suppose it comes back to you know defining th- de- defining what could be possible as much as as much as possible uh, as much as possible. Yeah. Um, and it's not an area that I think's done done well. I think my my view is if the agency, uh, but it also depends, I suppose, how the agency's run itself. If 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 the brand has encouraged the agency or asked the agency to work in a certain way that's very structured or got its own asset management system, if we're talking about assets, yeah. then it should just be, you know, uh, 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 lift up in one agency and drop it in the other agency. If, however, there's a, a sizable amount of work to go to, to that needs to take place, then I, I don't see an issue with the agency being remunerated to do to do that, um, as long as the parties can agree something. A, 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 a fair, a fair reasonable. reasonable uh, Fair and reasonable. They're great legal terms. What, that, whatever uh, that, whatever that is. I mean, I don't know what that is. Yeah, but so uh, many court cases have been uh, around defining fair and reasonable in a case by case basis. It's yes. great for barristers. Yes. <laughs> um, so now, just to talk a little bit, because uh, I'm interested in the competitive set. Okay, because you know there are lots of people that do say they do audits. You yeah. know, we've we've briefly touched on the benchmarkers. Yes. I think it was John Billets that uh, invented the term a media audit yes. for benchmarking. But, That's right. Yeah, you know, beyond the benchmarking, it seems to be that there's there's sort of the big accounting firms that offer audit services. Yes, and then there's the there's some that are just set up as you know groups of ex agency finance directors. Yes, some are qualified accountants. Some are not yeah um and they're offering those services you yes. seem to fit somewhere in between there because you've got industry experience and knowledge but you're actually chartered accountants yes and so i think we're 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 a bit unique in that in that way and i think your observation is is spot on i i feel that we sit in the middle i i like to think we've got the best of both worlds in that we have that we've got the regulatory oversight and you know we get audited as well by the IC, by the ICAEW to make sure we're doing things, we're doing what we say we're doing. To, um... And that's that's important because auditing is a very specific profession with very specific uh, uh, rules of practice, isn't it? International standards and guidelines. Yeah. Yes. And and while we don't do our we don't sort of commit to our clients to do everything strictly against a particular guideline. We do, in general terms, all our processes and practices. So when we get a practice assurance visit, we do describe it as, look, this is, this is, these are the guidelines that we follow, and this is how we've turned them into something that's relevant to, to contract compliance yeah. to the, what we're looking at. Because also, what we're doing is not, although we're auditing, we're not doing a statutory audit. Right. So technically, ah, okay. so, so so people in this build. No, no, that's re- that's a really important um, distinction there because. Statutory audits are a very specific legal requirement. Aren't yes, they? yes, and so the type of audit that we do isn't a sta- isn't a legal requirement, mm-hmm. um, and so in in this building it would be known as an an assurance engagement, right. where you're bringing auditing principles and standards that you would use for a statutory audit to something else. In this case, a contract. Because there's been a number of agency groups and uh, holding companies that have said as a blanket principle with their client, they will only allow a statutory audit by a, and usually one of the big well, uh, a, audit a, firms or a, accounting firms. A compliance audit by one yeah. of the big four, yes. So, 
anyone who's read anything I've uh, things I've put out in recent years that's one of my hobby hobby horses is these big four only audit clauses yeah um, so well, uh, cynically um, people have said that it's because they are very good at auditing you know but they actually don't understand the industry and so while I'll give you an absolute uh, tick for well, what we were reviewed fits the guidelines. Yep. Uh, it doesn't necessarily give you the picture, does it? Correct. And, and I guess the, the, being a, comp- a competitor in that marketplace, what I would say, and the ICAW supports, supports us, me, in, in this, because we've raised it with them, and um, they wrote recently to the FDs and legal counsels of all the big six holding companies, ISBA, the IPA, the WFA and the and the ANA to say that actually those big four only audit clauses are that well they're anti-competitive it's anti-competitive practice and very much frowned upon and and I think the phrase was you know you should appoint an auditor based on their competence rather than on their size and and their uh, experience with the category as well yes which would be part of the competence yeah okay. uh, sort of factor. Which is very different, and, and yeah, uh, indulge me in a, a, a small joke that I, I heard years ago that I like about an agency employing a new FD. And uh, the first uh, uh, candidate came into the uh, agency CEO and uh, had impeccable credentials, was a chartered accountant, presented in a, a beautiful suit, and they did the interview. And the, um, the agency CEO said, uh, well, look, just one last question. What's two plus two? And he said, well, of course it's four. And he said, well, you know, thanks for coming in. We'll call you if we uh, decide on you. The next person came in, you know, not quite well presented, had a, uh, an accountancy degree, had worked in a few agencies. They did the interview, and at the end of it, he said, uh, the CEO said to the candidate, what, what's two plus two? And he said, well... It could be three or it could be five. And he said, well, I like the cut of your jib. We'll get back to you next week. The third guy turned up late, a bit disheveled, no qualification, had worked in agencies of all different sizes. And at the end of the interview, the CEO said, what's two plus two? He went and opened and closed the door. He took the phone off the hook. He closed the blind. He reached, leaned down and whispered in the ear of the CEO, what do you want it to be? And he said, can you start tomorrow? <laughs> Fantastic. Fantastic. <laughs> and I think that's, uh, you know, it, 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 it's funny. I hope it's funny. But it also goes to the point about matching the competency to the job at hand. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. And understanding the environment in, in which people are working and, um, you know, what might seem acceptable in one sphere might not be seen as acceptable in a, in, a, in another sphere uh, as, as as well. Um, so so yeah. So I would say I think we we, we sort of blend we 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 blend the two uh, in terms of yes we've got that regulatory oversight but we also fundamentally understand how agency works and the pressures that that, that, that they're under. So we have people who've worked um, in agencies but also quite a lot of people who have worked um, for brands and supporting brand marketing teams and also at media owners. So I'd like to think that our people have got a. Uh, you know, a good a good sense of how this uh, industry works from from different angles and different perspectives. Yeah, I think uh, you know, as you say, it's got a basic 
commercial foundation. Yes. But there are nuances yes. that would change from, even from client to client. But you're also working internationally. There we must are. be nuances that change from market to market or, or region to region. There, there are. and um, So because you've got international standards yes. for audit, but just the way people do things. And, and I think that's right. Because fundamentally, wherever we go in the world, and people say, oh, it must be, you know, doing an audit in China must be totally different to doing one in, in the US or totally different to doing one in Russia or South Africa or, or wherever it may be. And I would say to that, to answer that question, I would say fundamentally the agency business model for a media agency is the same wherever you're going to be going in the world. For a creative agency, the same wherever you're going to be going in the world and so, and so on. What, what is different are the business practices and that's where the subtle nuances are. What I would say also though is let, let's take media and perhaps media media trading. That's not an area that I guess we would get into. And I would suspect that more of the nuances would happen around that area that perhaps we, we wouldn't necessarily see than on the accounting because the accounting increasingly is getting very international with mm. international accounting standards, standards yeah. coming, coming to, the, to, to the fore. So what we tend to see is more in terms of behaviours of, of individuals within agencies. And if there is a problem um, uncovered... Um, how that might be dealt with and being you know sensitive to cultural norms and and, and that kind of stuff um, and I guess also seeing observing I think we've become very good as, as individual auditors observing body language and behavior of the individuals that we're dealing with and I actually will which is more insightful than the numbers on the page <laughs> in many cases yes because if you're asking and particularly you know if you're asking an FD about you know a sensitive issue such as rebates and this is probably giving away some trade secrets but there are agency people who will, who will uh, listen to this but you know I'm absolutely looking out for body language and if I've got someone who's you know sitting on their hands and shifting from one one buttock to the other you know <laughs> I'm taking in that as much as you know what they're what they're saying to me and what's on the page in front of me well and, and as I said before we don't do audits but uh, we were looking at a, um, uh, a remuneration and I just uh, I said to a regional FD you're getting a good price for your um, color copies and he goes oh that's my biggest profit center and I went I'll pretend I didn't hear that. Yeah. <laughs> well, because with all these things, there are some things that, you know, we are... I, I, we, we are sorry, sorry yeah. I'll just clarify that. I think it's because he got squeezed on every yeah, other charge I'm sure. that that's why it was his profit centre. Yeah. <laughs> no, I'm, I'm, I'm sure. And, and, you know, so you... And because also, you know, we... we if you build a rep, it's like anyone you build a rapport with. There will be things said that 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 you, you that you that you pick on and typically pick up on. And typically, you know, we're there for a week. We're seeing these these guys and girls, you know, regularly during the course of that week, and you do build a rapport with them. But at the end of the day, fundamentally, you are you're you're auditing the contract, so you, your report must be focused on what's on in, in that contract. Yes, there are other things you're invariably going to sort of to, you know to pick up on, and then it's down to your professionalism and discretion as to you know what what you do or don't do with that information. Now, I just uh, want to, and I've just noticed the time, but um, just wanted to follow up or, or raise the issue of SOX compliance. Yes. Because it gets used as a sort of a, a barrier for a lot of conversations around audit and financial yep. performance. Um, we have to remember that SOX was introduced in the US. Yes. Because of a failure of the auditing 
process back then, that we had consultants and auditors in the same company that were often uh, conflicted in providing the sort of clarity yes. and advice. And, and internal controls not properly documented within, within businesses and not operating properly as well. Mm. So it came, yeah, it came to head 2002, 2003 after, after, after Enron. Yeah. It's funny you should raise that because I, I got asked a question, one of our global clients asked me about that last week. One of its agencies was pushing back and said, we can't do this because of SOX compliance. And we, we hear that all the time. Utter nonsense. Yeah. Complete and utter nonsense. All SOX is doing is ensuring that, that companies, uh, in, the, in the typically listed companies in the US, have a, a, a clear and structured framework of internal control and that is then followed. That's it. So it's, it's essentially, you know, it's SOX compliance is how do I, how do I run my business um, from a financial perspective effectively? What, what am I expecting to happen? So actually being SOX compliant should make it easier for an auditor to come in and understand what the, the processes and systems are and audit them. So if anyone ever throws up, oh, SOX compliance, complete and utter red hat. And that's exactly how it's thrown up. It's, oh, we can't do it because of SOX. Well, please explain that to me. Well, it's just SOX. <laughs> <laughs> exactly, because they don't understand. Yeah. Someone's They've just been told yes. by someone down the phone that, you know, no, we can't do that because of SOX compliance. Adrian, it's been fantastic uh, sitting down and having a chat. Likewise. Um, final, uh, final question for you um, before we go. And that is, obviously, in audit, if you find something that uh, is uh, in the agency's favour but not compliant with the contract, yes. then the agency would need to make uh, recompense for that. Yep. But what about if you find in an audit where you've bought in by the client yep. that there's actually in favour of the agency? Do you think that the uh, client should pay? <laughs>